Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Could this be really what he wants? See, Abraham was uh, wondering this thought after hearing the voice of God speak to him. You see, there, there is no written history that God has ever spoken to Abraham before this very moment. Ever since the disaster at the Tower of Babel, Abraham's family has settled in an area called Haran. It was their home. You see, Abraham is just an average person. There's nothing really special about him. He has no royalty in his blood. He has no, no lineage or anything. He's a family man. He's taking care of his nephew because... Well, his brother had passed away, and his wife is barren and unable to give him any kids. It's kind of a big deal at this time. And like so many of us, he loves his family, and he just works hard to provide for them. Now, you can imagine, you can imagine his surprise when on one random day, as he was going about his work, just a normal average day he heard something that he has never heard before he heard a voice now some of us may hear voices that's a different topic but he heard a voice as audible as I'm talking now it was a voice that called out from the heavens this hasn't happened before in fact he doesn't recall anyone ever mentioning it to him in the past, that this sort of thing happens. Now, the most interesting thing about this voice was that it was calling out to him. Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Who is this? Who is this voice? I am the Lord your God. I will make you into a great nation, and I will, I will show you the way. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curse you, I will curse. And all the peoples on this earth will be blessed through you. Now, this little conversation that took place between this voice and between this average man, what end up becoming perhaps the closest relationship we have on record between the creator and his creation. It was so close that God himself would refer to Abraham, this average man in the desert. He would call him a friend. He would, he would make several covenants with this person, Abraham. Perhaps one of the most known covenants that God made with Abraham was the time when he told him to look into the sky. Abraham, look in the sky. What do you see? Oh, there's so many stars. 
Count them. Count the stars. Well, that's, that's a lot of stars, God. I know. The number of stars won't even be compared to the number of your descendants. You will be a great nation. How can this be? My wife is barren. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur and gave you this land. Your wife will bear you a child. For my words are a promise to my people that I never break. And then it happened. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not necessarily referring to Abraham's wife giving birth to the promised son, even though that did happen. But something else happened before that. When God told Abraham that he will have many offspring on that day, we have to read what the very next verse says. It says this, Abraham believed the Lord. He just believed him. He had no reason to. He didn't have anything to go on. He didn't have any scriptures. There were no stories passed down about this great God. There was no history of God even fulfilling the things that he says. He just believed the Lord for one simple reason. He had faith. He had faith that this great voice would fulfill his promises. Now what happens next is very powerful. We can't neglect what the next few words in Scripture says. It says that just because Abraham believed, just because he believed, God made Abraham righteous. Now, why does that matter? Well, this, friends, at least in my study, is the very first account in Scripture where God transferred his righteousness to a person solely based on faith. Nothing more. This interaction between God and Abraham will actually be brought up once again. It'll be something that the people will reflect on over and over, generation by generation. But it'll be brought up in the New Testament by an apostle who is trying to convince the church that it is through faith we are saved. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now over the words of your scripture, that as we open up the Bible and we look at these things, Lord, make them clear. Help us understand. God, I pray that as I preach, I'm standing up here, Lord, that I only speak your truth, nothing more. God, if I say anything that is not from, from your scripture, your gospel, Lord, then correct me. Change the words on my paper. Lord, I just pray this, that your message be clear. God, for the rest of us, help us understand it. What are we supposed to do when we leave? What do we do with this stuff when we walk out of here? God, give us direction. Give us discernment and wisdom, Lord. And God, as we spend the next several minutes just, just looking through the greatness of your word, Lord, may we experience it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. All right, good. That wasn't a rhetorical question, so you've done well. Yes, good morning, and it is good to see you all. The lines are bright. I can look across the room here. You guys look smiling. Some of you are smiling. Yeah, there you go. Tim, do a good job, buddy. I can always count on you. But you guys look good, smiling. You guys, you guys awake out there? 
Yeah, you feel okay? Yeah, good, all right. If you need to stretch a little bit, I understand. All right. Well, I want to just say that, uh, well, gosh, last, last, yesterday, last night, uh, we had a beautiful ceremony take place in this room, in this space, is that uh, Blake and Allie, they, they got married. They did it. Can you believe it? Yeah. They got married right here. Yeah. And so last night, we had a covenant take place, that this space was, was consecrated, sanctified for the moment of two to become one. And right now, they're not thinking about me because they're going on their honeymoon. And so they're going to probably, if you're tuning in, if you're watching online, congratulations. We were proud of you. Um, that's a hit or miss thing there. But um, we just want to say congratulations to them for sure. Now, we're going to be jumping back into our series in uh, Galatians. Now, if you recall, last week we took, a, we took a break, we took a pause, because well, one of our uh, high school seniors felt the call to preach. And so I pushed pause. She came up and gave a wonderful message, and I hope that you encourage her. Now, I know her and her family are, are not with us today, but I'll speak in the Ethernet here, but Abby... I am sure you're excited that you're not preaching today. Yes, I'm pretty sure you are. But I want to tell you all that preaching is most definitely in her future. And God will be using you, Abby. And let me just say this, that if there's anyone else in this, in this congregation or in this place that has felt a, a leaning to preach the word, God has placed this on your heart. Come see me. Come let me know. Make this known. God, I'm going to tell you, God is needing people to come and proclaim his word. He needs you. If he's placed this calling on you, I'm not, and I'm not necessarily just saying, come be a salvation from your officer. We need those too, by the way. But what I'm talking about is that we need people who will boldly proclaim the word of God. If he's putting this calling on you, come see me. If you're scared, come see me. Your knees are trembling right now just because I'm talking about it. Come pay me a visit. I promise you, we can make this the most fulfilling calling you've ever answered. I just want to put that little plug there because even though I'm up here every Sunday and I'm preaching the word of God, I know he needs more people. He needs more people doing this. I digress. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off. Hopefully in your hand, you have your Bibles. They're, they're turned to Galatians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be picking up and looking into here. And I want to, before we start with 3, I want to just do a very quick recap. You know, it's been two weeks. We want to do a little quick recap of where we left off. So if you remember Paul, we just ended with Paul, the Apostle Paul. He really just stood before, he was kind of writing about a time that he was with Peter, and he stood before the entire church of Antioch, and he opposed, he kind of spoke up against Peter. Yeah, that Peter, the one that followed Jesus around. He actually, to his face, called Peter a hypocrite. You see, Peter, what he was doing, he was preaching one thing, but he was doing another. He was talking about this grace and the Gentile, oh, welcome to come into our fellowship and come and be with us. But then actually in his actions, he was doing the opposite. And so Paul was calling him out. He was saying, no, 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 you can't say these things, Peter. You have to do them as well. And so there was chapter two was really this dive into Paul defining grace, but also defining those within the church who go against it, who say it, but don't do it. 
And that's kind of where we left off with chapter two. You see, it, it, what they started doing is they started to add requirements. The church of Galatia started to add requirements and stipulations to be considered a member of the church. That you had to follow the Jewish laws even if you weren't Jewish is what they were doing. Now this type of thinking and leadership really started to infect the churches. It was like a poison that was going down from the leadership all the way down to the body. The work of grace is what Paul was saying. The work of grace was being replaced with the work of the law. That it was through your obedience of following the rules is how you're saved. But Paul was saying you've got it all wrong. That's not the requirement. That's not the stipulation. It's only by grace, by faith, that we're saved. And so Paul finishes chapter 2 with these words. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't push it to the side. I keep it in the forefront. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, through our actions, through our, through our, our works, if we can gain righteousness through these things, then Paul writes, then Christ died for nothing. He died for nothing. Now, I wish I can tell you that as we go into chapter 3, as we move into the next chapter, that maybe it gets a little easier, a little lighter. Maybe he's starting to have, you know, okay, I feel I've come on pretty hard, and I'm just going to kind of, let's just, just take it, hit the brakes a little bit. But it doesn't. The, the, fact, the very first verse of chapter 3 says, You foolish Galatians! Explanation mark. That's the first thing. Well, that'll do it. That'll get your attention. Calling someone foolish always does. Husbands, could you imagine? You know where I'm going with this? Could you imagine when you go approach your wife and you start a line like that with her? You foolish wife. And then you go on and talk about what you're going to be doing. See, all the husbands in the room already probably put their heads down. Blake, if you're watching, this is important. Okay. Don't do that. See, this is probably a very quick way to get a black eye or something like that. You don't want to do that. And in fact, husbands, if you start by calling your wife that, I promise you, she's not the foolish one. But regardless, it's a quick way to get someone's attention, right? Immediately, we go on the defense when you say, well, why are you so foolish? Well, wait a minute, you don't know me. It's a quick, easy way to go on the defense. But Paul right now, at the beginning of chapter 3, is trying, he's ready to get to the point. He's getting to it. You see, the first two chapters, he's been laying the foundation down. He's been just putting it into work. He's been trying to paint a picture of what's been going on. He didn't want to just come out of the bag and just say, here, let's get to the problem. He has to paint the picture so that we all understand the problem. We all understand what it is. So now he's ready to say, we got to get to it. You foolish Galatians, he writes. And then he says, who, who has bewitched you? Or in other words, whose opinions are you following over Jesus? Whose opinion are you valuing more over his? Whose opinion is dictating and governing the church over the, over the groom? Who is this? So he's really trying to say, yeah, you're foolish for listening to someone else. So here's what he writes. If you look at chapter 3 here, he says, You foolish Galatians, 
who has bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you, he writes. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by, by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So awesome. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteous. You're right here in the first few verses of chapter three. He's made the point. The point is faith over the law. Faith over our works. Now, you may have noticed him writing, depending on your translation, depending if you have a newer NIV or an older, but you may have noticed there was some wording in there that said, have we suffered for nothing? He actually, he actually wrote that to them. Have we suffered for nothing? Now, we believe that he made that little comment in there in chapter 3, possibly based off a reference of his last visit to them in person. Zoom wasn't available, so he had to go in person. And so he was visiting them, and here's what's interesting, is that his last visit to this church in person is actually recorded in Acts chapter 14. So if we were to take Acts 14 and look at this little book here called Galatians and put them side by side, we can track him and see exactly what happened. And, and there are many that believe that this little reference right here in chapter 3 is talking about Acts 14. Oh man, that was a crazy visit. If we just go back and look over that, we see that Paul and Barnabas, his good buddy, they're right there, they're visiting, they're, 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 they're paying visit to their church. But while they're there, of course, they're really good evangelists. They want to go and tell the people about Jesus. So they're going around all of Greece and Galatia, and they're telling the people about the powerful God, about Jehovah and what he can do for you, about all these false gods here. None of these are real. There's only one real God. And they're out there preaching and preaching, and they start to get a crowd around them. But here's the funny thing. They were, they're not in Kansas anymore, as you would say. They started, the people started to look at them Yes, they believed what they said, but they looked at them too as gods. Well, not just any god. The people of Galatia actually called them by name. Look, everyone come. It's Zeus and Hermes. They're here with us in flesh. Go, get your family. Zeus is here. Hermes is here. And as soon as they started to get a big crowd, but then they started to notice that all the people there got on their knees and started worshiping them. And immediately, the scripture says that Paul and Barnabas humbled themselves. No, 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 no. We're not God. We're not God. And so they, they humbled themselves and said, no, that's God. And so they started to, 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 to preach the one true God. The Zeus, the, there is no Zeus. There's only Jehovah. There's only one God. But here is the most bizarre thing. And sometimes us church we can be our own worst enemies. Is that there in Galatia, the church of Galatia, the actual Jews who followed the law religiously, saw Paul and Barnabas out there preaching, being humble and pointing people this way. 
that when they saw them, they said, well, wait a minute, these guys are breaking the law. They're, break, they're breaking the law. Look at these sinners out here worshiping them. And it was the church that went out and persecuted Paul and Barnabas. You know what they did? They grabbed some rocks and they started to stone them. Look at these, these heretics here. They just started to, and in fact, the scripture says in Acts 14 that the rocks were coming so hard that Paul was almost to the point of death. They had to drag them outside the city gates on the ground. And then God put his hand of coverage of protection over him. He regained his strength, and you know what he did? He moved on. This was his last visit. He kind of remembers it a little bit. And so here, right now in verse 3, he's saying, have we suffered for nothing? I was almost killed last time for this message of grace. Why are you changing it now? Why are you changing this message now? You see, this right now is all coming at a very important time in the church's history. Coming at a very important time. At this point, up until now, the way you honor, the only way they know how to honor God is by what? Following the law. It's been preached to them since they were little boys and girls. Follow the law. They studied it in school. They went to, to, to Torah school and they learned all about it. <clears throat> this is what they did. That was the only tool they had in the bag was to follow the law. You see, the law. The law was given by God to keep humanity focused on his return. The law was, was a gift that he gave humanity to say, I'm coming back. But until then, here is how you stay holy. Here is how you stay connected with the one true God. And he gave it to Moses. He gave Moses because, because at that time when he handed it to Moses, his people were lost and they were wandering around. They needed some guidance and direction. They needed assurance from their God that he is there. He hears you. He sees you. Here, this is the tangible proof that I am the Lord your God. And all throughout the entire Old Testament, when Israel wandered and drifted away from God, it was the law that brought them back every time. Anytime they were disconnected from God, it was because they abandoned the law. They said, that's not, that's not how we do things anymore. That's not how we look at the world anymore, God. And so they abandoned it. And any time that they were drifting and wandering away from him, the prophets would cry out, Oh, Israel, come back. Come back and, and, and know the Lord your God. And they would instill, these prophets would bring back the law. And when they did, every single time when we read in Scripture, revival and renewal will fall on the nation of Israel. And their people would know and be once again connected with their God. But the law... The law was always designed from the very beginning to lead people to one place, the Messiah. It was always to lead people to the Messiah. And then he came. Oh, the word, the law, became flesh. And all power and authority of the law was given to him. The earth, the wind, the weather, the sky, they all obeyed his commands. The stones and the rocks on the ground cried out when they saw him. Demons trembled at their, at their knees when they just hear the name, just to hear his name called out. 
Sickness and disease will flee at his command. The law was given life. It was given flesh. The law had become a person. And all, out of all of creation on this earth, only humanity rejected him. Everybody else cried out. The birds, the rock, the weather, they cried out, for holy is he, the creator. It was humanity who rejected him. And what did we do? We were afraid. We were filled with fear, afraid to give up control, to give up power, to give up tradition. So we did what we do when we're filled with fear. We hated him. We persecuted him. And we even killed him. But something happened. Something happened to the law upon his death. It didn't end. It wasn't abolished. Upon his death, we learn and we see that the, that the law was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in person. The law had become grace for all of us to follow. Jesus is the law. He is the law. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And because of him, because of Jesus Christ, it went from doing to believing. Do you believe? Believing. Now, some of us may be thinking, this sounds pretty, pretty easy. This is pretty good, good stuff right here. I can just believe, and then I can kind of live as I please. This is a really good system. I believe, and I live as I please. But friends, let me tell you that this is an incorrect interpretation of grace. This is an incorrect interpretation of the grace that was given to us by Christ on the cross. See, we like to use those, now I'm speaking, listen here, to us in the church. If you're not a believer, if you're like, you know what, I'm just kind of diving in. I want to see what this Jesus thing is about. Hold on, I want you, you're getting, a, you're getting a fly on the wall. Because I'm talking right now to us believers, the ones who say we believe he's the Messiah. He is the Son. He is the Christ. You see, what we like to do sometimes is use grace as a way to still live sinful lives and remind all of our fellow believers that we're all under grace. We're all under grace. It's grace. It's grace. I'm going to tell you, this isn't grace. This is abuse. This is abuse. We are abusing the cross every single time that we do that. I know, I know that's hard. I know, but it's true. The grace that's spoken of in chapter 3, that's spoken of by Paul here, is a grace from the Old Testament law, not from sin. That's not what it is. You see, when we are filled with sin, when we are actually living sinful lives, what we're actually needing to be after is forgiveness. We need to go and experience salvation. Grace alone, just by itself, will not save you. Hear me. Grace means this. Grace means 
that God is giving you the chance to be forgiven, then you must turn from your old ways. Grace isn't to be forgiven and embrace your old ways. You have to turn from them. Grace means that you and I have been given the chance of eternity with the creator of the universe. Grace means that you and I are given the chance to be free from sin's roots. But grace is not. It is not an endorsement of sin. It is not falling into that lie that as long as we're on this side of heaven, we're just going to be living in sin. And it is not, friends, some technicality that allows us to have one foot in the kingdom and another foot in the world. The grace that Paul is speaking of in chapter 3, really in the entire book of Galatians, is all about here for those who are already inside the church. He's speaking to believers, to those who already profess and claim that Jesus is the Messiah. That no matter what new book, what new pastor, or what new church trend is out there, and there's plenty out there, no matter what they say, the only way to the Father is through the Son. That's it. There is no shortcuts. There is no substitution for salvation. There is no multiple routes there. There's only one way there. It's through the Father, or through the Son to the Father. There is no other way. And hear me, please, when I say this in my heart. Do not, as your shepherd, do not, do not, do not fall for Satan's lie that grace now means there is no hell. Or that it no longer matters. Hell is real. It's real. But so is the cross. Believers, those who call upon Christ, hell is real. I know the church doesn't like to say that much anymore. But we'd be foolish, oh foolish salvationist, if we didn't acknowledge it. It's real. But the, you do not have to go there. You do not have to. There is a way. You know what it's called? Grace. Grace has pulled us from hell. Because of Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I can look at Satan and say, you have no power over us. You have no power or authority over us in this temple or this place. But we can only do it through Christ. Only through him on the cross. We'd be foolish if we could do it. Think we could do it by the church. By a pastor. By a celebrity. It doesn't matter. Hell is real, but it does not have authority over you if you call upon him. And the grace that Paul is talking about right here is saying that hell is real, but you don't have to go. All right. I want your shepherd to know. I want you to hear it from me. Hell is real. But Jesus is more powerful. He is more powerful. So this principle of grace was true then. It was true in the Old Testament and New Testament. And I'm going to tell you it's true right now. The bottom line is this. 
is that faith is the only thing that's being asked of us believers. It's what's being asked of us from, from Jesus is to believe. It's through faith that we are justified. It's through faith that we are sanctified. And it's through faith that we are made righteous. And so Paul right here in chapter 3, he wants to remind the Galatians. He reminds them that this faith was always the plan from the very beginning. It was always the plan. That before there was the law, before that there was even a nation of Israel, before there was even some promised land, he reminds them that it started with a simple man who became a friend of God. God didn't call him a friend because of the way he followed the law or because he had an excellent way of obeying the commands. He didn't say, because of your actions, I'm calling you friend. He says, because of your faith, I'm calling you friend. And so Paul writes, Abraham believed. And so God made him righteous. He was promised more children. And he says here in Galatians, Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is now considered a child of Abraham. You and I, we are a part of Abraham's heritage, fulfilling that promise that God gave him all those years ago, that those who call upon the name of the Lord are now sons and daughters of the King Most High, Righteousness was given to Abraham only based on faith. So Paul writes, what makes you, O church? What makes you, leaders? What makes you, the ones who are over this thing, have the power to say otherwise? We don't. And what about you? What about today? What about right now? How is your faith? How are you? This gospel thing is for you. It's not for just the collective church or just for me up here preaching on this thing. But this thing is real. It's yours. It's your story. Grace has been given to each and every single one of us. Many of you have already experienced it. You've tasted how good it is. You've seen what you used to be, and you look back and go, my God, how did you fix that, God? Grace. And some of us right now looking in the mirror, we may still be not quite figuring out, I don't think that looks like a child of God. You are. You are. There is grace. There is salvation. There is a day when you look in the mirror and you see the face of God. Because you look, you know, we kind of look like our parents a little bit, don't you think? There will be a day when we walk out into the world and they'll see that that person looks different. And if you're hearing this message for the very first time, I implore you. In fact, there's nothing more in my heart and my soul that can tell you more that I implore, I please, I beg of you even, 
to seek after him, to give him a chance. I promise you, it's real. Otherwise, I'm not up here. It's real. And if you're living right now under grace, or maybe you've been living under grace for a very long time, how is your faith? Has it developed? Has it it staying the same? Are you still trying to figure it out? I want to tell you to, to fully experience the grace that was given to us on the cross, you must have faith as your foundation. If your faith is crumbling or starting to come apart, then you stop looking at grace because you, you can't see it anymore. But if your faith is strong, a foundation, then that grace falls on you. It's almost like a renewing, the spirit of the soul. So maybe, what is stealing your faith away from you? What's taking it away? Or maybe a better question is this, what in your life is just waiting to be your faith story? What is that thing? And this is the part, you know, where I say, come and find out. Come and find out. Come find out what your faith story is. Come find out what that thing that's holding you back to go to the next mature, to to fully experience the, the Lord. Come find out. He'll show you. And he'll do something mighty in your life. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.